Good morning, friends. Another beautiful morning, huh? I would invite the ushers to come forward and receive the gifts from those who choose to use the basket. No matter how you give, it is a continuing of our worship of the Lord. I too would like to welcome those of you who are literally here in this room uh, or those who have connected online. And I suspect there are many of you from the North Ave campus that have joined us either the earlier service or this current service. Uh, you may already be aware, but the marathon is happening today. So that does feel like a kickoff to summer, and traditionally we all think of Memorial Weekend as the beginning of summer. But like I did the first hour, I'm going to ask again in this hour, how many of you have confidently put your snow shovel away? <laughs> there's one power, uh, there's two. I held a funeral for mine. Okay. There was only one first hour. You know, Memorial Day, um, as we refer to it now in this country, actually occurs tomorrow. But I think it's appropriate and important that we pause a moment here together to recognize, to remember, the, not only the origin of what we call Memorial Day, but the purpose in it. So following the Civil War, kind of scattered throughout the country, there were very localized celebrations or observances of what was then known as uh, remembering the fallen. In 1868, however, nationally, this observance occurred for the first time. And it was at that point identified as Decoration Day. The point of that observance and the decoration was that those who had lost loved ones whilst they were serving in the military, those killed in battle, would go to their graves and place flowers in remembrance of the fallen. So I want to take just a few moments here this morning because many of us in this room and those online, their families, our families, may have been touched by the death of a loved one while serving our country. So let's pause together quietly and just reflect. Today is also Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. And Pentecost is observed yearly in a moment to remember and reflect on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly today, another remembrance, if you will, we will participate together in communion. And hopefully you all received or took possession of a little package. I've got mine in my pocket. 
right here. And we will share in communion together a little bit later. So three remembrances, if I could put it that way, come together today. Now, I have to say, in all sincerity, you have my respect, any of those who may view this service after the fact, who are participating in the marathon today. I haven't run, I haven't run since Uncle Sam told me I had to, let alone 26 miles. <laughs> but truly, quite an amazing, quite an amazing feat. And I do know that there are folks that are people of the Lord that are participating not only as runners, but in support of this huge event in downtown Burlington. To get, begin this morning, I want to just pause and read for you actually 17 verses, so it's a little long, but a passage from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know my, who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, and even greater works because I am going to the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So, in my reading, this passage can readily be um, separated, if you will, or perceived as being comprised of three distinct sections. The first five verses 
is the section where Jesus is assuring his disciples of not only his presence with them, but that their future will always be in his presence. Verses 6 to 11, Jesus essentially announces his personhood, if you will, identifying who he is with respect to the Father. And then verses 12 to 17 is the assertion of the power that will come with the Holy Spirit. Now, I suspect for many of you, this is a familiar passage. It was a portion of the words spoken by Jesus to the disciples at the Last Supper. But particularly when we are reading a familiar passage, it's very important for us to intentionally note both the context in which the passage rests and also the content that it conveys. So the context, in a nutshell, is the Last Supper. This is some 50 days prior to Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday here, so 50 days ago, the night before Jesus died on the cross. For the Hebrew people, the celebration of Passover constituted a joyful remembrance of what had happened many generations before when God spared the firstborn child of all the households in Egypt, wherever the sacrificial blood of the lamb had been applied to the doorposts. So this celebration was a looking back, a recounting of the nation's history, a remembering. Because Jesus was able to look forward to the events that would unfold the very next morning, he knew that the disciples, the apostles, were about to face likely the most difficult, discouraging, and disorienting season of their lives. And he wanted to offer them comfort. So now we get into the content with verse 1. Jesus' words, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Because the disciples had seen Jesus as a man, they encountered him on the human level. He needed to continue to teach them and to prepare them for what would soon follow. He wanted to reassure them ahead of time that in spite of how things would unfold, They didn't need to be afraid. When Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me, that could also be rendered, believe in God, believe also in me. It's uniting faith in him with faith in God the Father. And it's also uniting his nature with the nature of the Heavenly Father. And this indirect claim of divinity implies that though he was truly man, he was indeed at the same time truly God. Jesus goes on to assure them that before leaving, he was going to prepare a place for them. And that when everything is ready, Jesus said, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. 
it was necessary for Jesus to go ahead of them in order to secure the way to the Father's home. It's interesting, if you think about it, the way for Jesus was the way of the cross, the way for the disciples and for us is Jesus himself. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, secured for both the disciples and for us access to the Father's home. And this was accomplished in full when he later ascends to the Father, presenting himself as an offering to God, an offering that Paul, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, describes Jesus as having been raised from the dead, he now is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died and would be resurrected. Now, Jesus hadn't explicitly or specifically told them about the ascension that would occur in the future during this dinner. Only that he was going to prepare a place, and then when everything was ready, to come back for them. Jesus needed to go to the Father. And until he did, neither those disciples around the table with him that evening, nor we, would get there. When Jesus said in verse 4, you know the way to where I am going, Thomas quickly responds, no, we don't know, Lord. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, the thing is, from our vantage point, with the benefit of knowing the arc of the story, if you will, it's easy to be critical of Thomas. Yet Jesus was patient with these men because he knew they knew. They just didn't know they knew. He patiently, progressively sought to assure them not only of his love, but of his intentions and of his imminent return. And after Thomas's response, Jesus simply announces himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Now, for many today, particularly, such an announcement, such a claim is often characterized as offensive, coming across as exclusive, intolerant, and certainly arrogant. But Jesus announced that no one can come to the Father but through me. Such a claim, such an announcement, elicits a number of responses. Most of you have probably seen that now old bumper sticker, the simple bumper sticker that says coexist. Familiar? You've seen that with all the symbols that it... So I took a little longer look at it recently. It's interesting that how this bumper sticker is drawn, I guess I could put it that way, the letter C is actually comprised of the crescent moon and the star, the symbol of Islam. That's the letter C. The letter O is replaced on this bumper sticker with the proverbial peace sign, 
peace sign that became very familiar and and, uh, recognizable to those of us during the Vietnam War era. The letter E is the letter E, but it's augmented with the symbology of male and female, connoting, therefore, uh, equality between the genders. The X is essentially replaced with the Star of David, the symbol of Judaism. The letter I, I, I didn't recognize initially, so I had to do a little reading. And if you look at the letter I on that bumper sticker, most often the dot over the letter I essentially is comprised of the pentangle, which is a a symbol of magic. The letter S is comprised of kind of a stylized yin and yang symbol. And then the letter T, to close the word coexist, is last but not least, the symbol of the cross, Christianity. Now, I I can say that I sincerely appreciate the overt message that this image conveys, the message of getting along with those who espouse or believe differently than we do. But we today live in an age when the notion of absolute truth has been suspended. Today, a claim that one speaks the truth brings many voices offering alternative truths. All you got to do is look at Facebook, my goodness. So what it comes down to, really, ultimately here, is how we respond to the claims, both explicit and implicit, that Jesus makes about himself in this passage. He was very clear announcing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. His claim to be the way hinges on him being the truth. And if he is truly the way to the Father, then those who follow the way, Jesus, will find life in and with the Father. The way to reach the Father has been forever established through the work of the Son. The Son is the truth in that He incarnated, He enfleshed a unique revelation of the Father. The Son is the life because in becoming man, He's enabled us to have access to life together with the Father. And even death cannot prevent that. So as the way, he guides us to the truth. And as the truth, he establishes us in the life. Jesus continues, verse 7, If you had known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus pursued this line of conversation with these men in order to make clear that it's by his incarnation that he is the singular mediator between God and all of humanity. 
But this is precisely the issue that Thomas, and we'll see in a moment, uh, Philip, both express that they're struggling with, and that Jesus was still struggling to explain. So Philip pipes in in verse 8, Lord, just show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Well, these disciples had been living with Jesus for several years at this point. They saw and spoke with him daily. They witnessed his powerful works regularly. God is arguably incomprehensible to the human intellect. Yet, through the incarnation, Jesus provides a glimpse of the image, indeed the essence of God the Father. Philip voiced what was very likely the same thought that was rattling around in the minds of all of the apostles around that table that night. And that may also resonate in the minds of some of us here this morning. Philip and the rest of them had seen Jesus in the form of a man. We have had the opportunity to see Jesus in the scriptures, in lives that have been changed by his, his touch upon them, and perhaps through some miracles, whether large or small, that either have been our personal experience or we have seen in the lives of others. So Thomas and Philip were not the only ones who struggled to make the connection between Jesus and God the Father. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replies, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the works you have seen me do. Jesus' very life on earth provided a portrait of the Father, much like our lives if we are followers of Jesus. We are called to increasingly represent an accurate portrait of Jesus. And that increase, that increasingly accurate portrait, the increase itself is God's work within us. So Jesus is essentially saying here that there's no difference between himself and God the Father. In other words, he is letting them know that Jesus himself is the perfect representation of the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, though that's framed as a question, 
in the asking, Jesus was actually announcing the fact, the truth, that he and the Father, being alike in nature, are utterly inseparable in essence. This is a mind-blowing concept to be having a conversation with a human being, and yet this human being, Jesus, speaking straight up that he and the Father essentially are one. It wasn't until the fourth century of the church that this dogma, this picture, if you will, was settled four centuries after the days that Jesus walked the earth. In a city called Nicaea, the theologians of the day gathered and they hammered through these questions. They settled the question with the, with the recognition that Jesus the Son and God the Father are one in essence. Homoousion is the Greek term for that. One and the same essence. Jesus goes on to say, The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. His words, his works are in reality the Father's. I get a kick out of this. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I mean, he's, he's drawing their attention to what they have witnessed for three plus years in his presence. Now, Jesus describing his words and his works as those of the Father doesn't signify uh, a diminished power or an inferior power in Jesus himself. Instead, it's kind of building out the recognition that there is perfect communion between an inseparable union with the Father. Jesus' power belongs to his essence, and his work is the exercise of that power. And it's in the exercise of his power that the essential unity of the Father and the Son is seen. In essence, Jesus is explaining that the Father can be recognized in himself simply based on the evidences of the divine power in the works that he performed. But still, Jesus remains patient with these guys. He knew they knew. They just didn't know they knew. The next three verses, as I read and reread and still read, um, if I'm honest, this would probably be the point where were I to be present at the table that night at the Last Supper, I would probably, a little tentatively, but I would probably raise my hand and interrupt Jesus with some questions. 12 to 14 reads this. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name 
and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The thing of it is that these words that Jesus spoke in the presence of his disciples around that table were not just for them. They are also for us. And we know that because it's very clear. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works and even greater works. Jesus goes on to tell us that to demonstrate our love for him, we need to obey his commandments. And then in verse 16 and, verses 16 and 17, he transitions from the promise of answered prayer to the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you realize that it's by him sending the Holy Spirit and that alone that will allow for even greater works to be done. During the three years, roughly, of Jesus' earthly ministry years, Jesus preached and taught and restored and healed, and hundreds and eventually thousands came to believe. But on the day of Pentecost, which we mark today, after the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples in the early church, 3,000 people believed in one day in the city of Jerusalem. God's power working through them on that first day of the Holy Spirit's outpouring is still at work in the church today. But the thing that gets me is verses 13 and 14. You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now that is a pretty bold assertion, at least in my mind, especially when I look at my own life experiences. When I think about the innumerable times that friends or in my role as pastor, I have been asked to join with another to pray for a specific result. Asking of God, pleading together that the answer sought would be granted. So what sense can be made of all those times that prayers, our prayers, seem to go unanswered? And then I remember that God's ways are not our ways. The Apostle Paul, in a portion of his second letter to the church in Corinth, wrote these words. Three different times I begged the Lord to take the thorn in my flesh away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness 
so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, for when I am weak, he is strong. I think there are three simple but profound principles at play here. The first is that Jesus invites us, instructs us, actually, to ask for whatever it is we seek in his name. But it's critically important that we recognize that his name is Savior. So that whatever we are asking in Jesus' name, in prayer, if there is any way that granting what we are asking for would hinder either our own or another's salvation, it would be in conflict with the Savior's will. So there will not be a granting if it's going to hinder salvation. The second principle is that whatever we ask must bring glory to the Father. Because if you think back on the life of Jesus, everything he said and everything he did brought glory to the Father. So if what we ask for would in fact not glorify God the Father, it's very unlikely we're going to receive it. And then I think the toughest one, at least for me, is that even when we ask rightly in the name of Jesus, we may not receive what we are seeking at that time. But delay in the wisdom of the Father is not denial of our petition. Keep that in mind. Sometimes our prayer must go on and on and on. Because in God's wisdom, all good will be given in time. So I would invite Trevor and Blaine to come. And uh, in the last couple moments here, I, I just want to encourage you Though we sometimes forget, the words of Jesus give us the assurance that our place in him has not only been prepared, but our place is secure. And through the words and the works of Jesus, he announces his personhood his identical essence with God the Father, the perfect portrait of God the Father. Because he is truth, we can be confident enough to continue on the way to the life with the Father. And through the words of Jesus, asserting that when we ask in his name, it is through his power the Holy Spirit, that we are able to witness God working through and in us. Remember, Jesus was patient with these guys because he knew 
but they didn't know they knew God the Father through Jesus the Son. And we're not all that different from them, are we? We will be sharing in communion. Again, I'm trusting that you collected one of these as you came in. Trevor and Blaine will bring us a song as we take moments to reflect on the symbology that we will be participating in today. And the table is open to all who know Jesus Christ as Savior. So, basic instruction and a word of caution. There are two peel, peelable layers on these containers. The very top one is a very thin filament, and it will release the bread. And then the larger one that looks like a tab on a creamer, you know, in restaurants, when you peel that one, you'll have access to the fruit of the vine. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Let's partake together. gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no Oh, my. 
I was going to ask you all to stand for prayer, so thank you. <laughs> Much more powerful than the wave in a, you know, in a sporting event. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come to you in Jesus' name. We ask that you would keep us mindful of your words and of your works. Thank you for sending to us the Holy Spirit. And thank you for being the way that leads us, the truth that strengthens us, and the life that invigorates us. Amen. Enjoy this beautiful day. <laughs>